part of the word the Lord gave me for 2021 and beyond. And I want to read this part again. I won't read everything I read last night, but just this part. I want to give my people eyes to see what I've made available to them in this season and what I made available to this generation of my children on the earth that no other generation has been given. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding are my people's portion in this season. I will, I will teach my people how to walk by faith and not by sight as never before. I will teach them not to be moved by what they see with their natural eyes, but only be moved by what I'm speaking and I, and I have declared to be true. This is a season on the earth when my people must devour my word as their highest delight and guard themselves against all other influences so that their highest delight is in me. I want to mark my people. Indeed, I want to brand my people with a marking that their greatest delight would be to know and experience my beauty. Indeed, the greatest revelation that I'm releasing on the earth is a revelation of my beauty in my name. When my people see my beauty, they will represent me as I've ordained to represent them. I felt from the Lord tonight to just talk a little bit about the process of the renewed mind. And essential to our discipleship process is the renewed mind. I always remember uh, in Alabama getting ready to minister uh, in 2013, the fall, and the Lord spoke to me, it's kind of, as he does sometimes, really sharp. And he said to me, I cannot violate the perverted thought processes of man to fulfill my will in their life. And so I understood it and I still, I, you know, it's like the Lord makes these statements to you and it takes, uh, I'm still unpacking the implications of what he meant by that. And it's just a, a truth that God cannot come to you and move beyond your thinking to do his will, even though it's his will to do that which he desires in your life, you have to come into agreement. He wishes that, at a, a very base level, let's say it like this, he wishes that all men to be saved, right? Not every man is saved. So he cannot violate somebody's will and make them receive the sacrifice of what Jesus did on the cross so they could become born again. You know, and, and, and often there is a spirituality, uh, I should say there, there's something that masquerades itself as spirituality often among the people of God where we actually place back onto God the responsibility that is given to us. And it takes actually very little faith or no faith to live in that place. Well, you know, you know if God just wants to do this for me, he just kind of knows where I am. And the reality is most of the things that God really desires to give us, there must be an extension of faith. You've talked, we read, we read uh, the man at the pool. You saw that the focus of Jesus in his dialogue with him was to bring him to a place of faith in God. He was trying to not only give him a miracle, but he was trying to give him a change in mindset that he no longer had to live as a victim. In, in Mark the 10th chapter, really, you know, the, you know, if you're Pentecostal, you love that story. Lauren Bartimaeus, you know, <laughs> you heard that one like every week in Sunday school. At least I did. <laughs> you know, and he's going, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And it's, what's really interesting is because for him to say that in that cultural environment 
would mean that he is identifying that Jesus is the Messiah. And so, and so, and what's really interesting is Jesus keeps walking. It's he he has this. The, it's Bartimaeus that has taken the initiative there, and you know he he might be one of the first Pentecostals there. He's shouting, you know, and but then when he gets to Jesus, what, what does he say? He he Jesus, you know, it's kind of it's almost like uncomfortable from our cultural perspective. But he goes, "What do you want?" He, you got to think Peter was like. Jesus, the guy's blind. Help, you know, don't be, so, you know, if, if, if Jesus was, you know, I'm convinced in some places, if Jesus was an American pastor, they, they would say he's mean, you know. They would definitely have like a video on him. This is, this is why this man is not authentic, you know. And he's, he's, he's trying to, he's trying to not just teach, he's not, he's trying to bring a miracle to him, but in that miracle, he's trying to teach him something from that miracle about the nature of God. What do you want? And he's trying to tell him, you, you not only can receive what I want to give you, but you no longer have, because that, that incapacity in his physical eyes had come into, a, had caused him to live in a mindset where he is literally known in some places as a beggar. And we know he throws off his coat, which is, was a sign of who he was. So what's he doing? He's trying to give him a miracle, but he's also trying to give him a change in mindset. Like the, the, the will of God is not simply just to, you know, uh, kind of just throw you a miracle every now and then. It's actually so you can live in this place of, of fruitfulness on a consistent basis. And part of the reason why it's so, so important for you to live in that place as a lifestyle is there, there's actually a place where it actually says that Jesus grew and he grew. He's perfect, but he grew. But he wants you to grow into a place of maturity where uh, there's no longer any concern in your mindset about your own sustainability, but you become a releaser of that, a releaser to the world around you of that which you have come to know personally. So, um, you know, that's why even, uh, you know, it, get, it gets people mad, but it's just true. That's why even living prosperous life financially is not an option if you want to be a real disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he actually wants to make you a, 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 a storehouse for other people in the purposes of God. So when you learn to live in that place, it's that you don't think about like, oh, what's this going to cost me? Or, you know, it's just a level of living where you realize you have been, com- you, you have been, you, you, you live in the blessing of the Lord. And out of that blessing, he causes you to be a resource house for other people. Yeah. And as you do that, you're never worried with my bills. That just doesn't become an issue anymore. It's just the issue is now I've come to represent him in that way. That's why, that's why, you know, quite frankly, I'm convinced the enemy fights that thing so much in the body of Christ, you know. I, I just think when you teach on, especially financial stewardship, you got to have deliverance in the same thing, you know, because people, you know, they get mad. They really do, you know. You feel it in the room sometimes. It's like, we love Jesus, but we're, you know, like, it's like, anyway. <laughs> Hey, Stephen, in this next season, the Lord's going to speak to you in like a really still, small voice in this season. You'll know. You, I feel like he speaks to you that, that in the Word. It's like the Word and the still, small voice. But the still, small voice is going to come to you as never before, just early in the morning. Actually, see G, like the hands of the Lord just on your ears, just like unlocking greater discernment for you. And there's coming a shift 
an assignment for you, and there's going to come a rest in what the Lord's going to call you to do. Yeah. So, this is like an essential part, and we didn't read this last night, but let's 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 read it. Proverbs twenty-three, uh, verse seven: For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. As he thinks in his heart, so how you think in your own heart defines your existence. We said last night how you perceive yourself and how you perceive God defines how you operate in the world. And so the renewed mind, it's not, it, you have been given, and it's not just you individually, but we have the mind of Christ. The, the, the reason, part of the reason why uh, we must understand the, the essential nature of community is this, is that I can represent Jesus as an ambassador of the kingdom of God. But unless I'm in alignment with other people moving in that direction and doing it together, the world misses out on the full expression of what Jesus looks like. I can represent him, but if you're not representing him you know, in the manner God's called you, then there's a missing expression because Jesus delight like there's kind of like this weird thing, and I know what people are trying to say because they're wanting to change, but it's like 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 all of you and none of me. No, he wants all of him and all of you, but not, not like the bad stuff. You know that. Like, don't be stupid. Like, he doesn't, not that. But he doesn't want to, like, change you. He doesn't want to change the things that you like. He doesn't want to change, like, I like professional wrestling. You don't have to like professional wrestling. But unless he tells me about it, unless professional wrestling becomes a god, or I'm drawn to certain things, I, I, I like to think about certain things. I live in my, like, I, in my own little world in a lot of ways. I call it my little bubble. So I think like this. I have a certain personality. He doesn't want to take out your personality. In fact, one of the marks of a religious spirit is it wants everyone to be the same. You know, and, and it, it doesn't mean like I, I'm a Suarez, so I have certain characteristics of what Suarez is. But one of the great essential features that my parents always taught me is like, hey, just embrace who God has called you to be. So, but it's only in every person functioning in a mature place that it fully represents the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the enemy works so uh, on, on a, on a, on a, uh, on a level to disjoin, disjoin people, disjoin communities of people, and disjoin even married people from each other because it's a strength. He said, where two or more agree, it shall be done. So we've been given this inheritance, and then we walk on this journey of, of learning to embrace the thought processes of God. And the mind is not simply renewed just because you step into the kingdom. It's your choice. And there's this word, there's this word that um, I constantly use, and it's intentionality. Intentionality is basically done with purpose and design. I think, uh, the, obviously, the Olympics were, were canceled last year. Apparently, they're going to have it this year. And I, I'm always intrigued. I, 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 was, I wrestled from the time of seven till 23 until I graduated uh, college. And I'm always fascinated at the dedication that these people will put into this particular goal. There's an intentional focus on this goal to become the very best in that place. And also, this, most of them have this overwhelming conviction that they are the best in the world or else they wouldn't even sign up. So there's an intentionality to it, 
And uh, we, we start here, Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So the foundation of, of, of this transformation is, is uh, living constantly in this posture is, I'm here and I'm yours and uh, I'm yours to command from this day forward. And notice he says that's your reasonable service. A lot of times we're like, that guy's really radical. You know, he's like all in for God, do anything. No, that's actually the reasonable service in God. That's reasonable, you know. What most Americans call like uh, uh, radical, God calls reasonable, you know. <laughs> and, and, and notice he is writing, he is writing to believers. And in verse 2 he says, and don't be conformed. So he says, he gives us this command to not be conformed. So he tells us that a believer can actually be conformed to this world even though they are in Christ. But be transformed. By what? The renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable, perfect will of God. So he gives us that connection again that we uh, hopefully understood a little bit about last night. There's a connection between uh, the renewed mind and then expressing the will of God. It's the renewed mind that expresses the will of God. Uh, go to uh, Matthew the 8th, because I want a uh, chapter, I just felt like I'd want to look at that in a moment, uh, look, look at that for just a moment. Uh, when you're in school, especially I think, I think it's start, well, maybe high school, I had some of these, they, you'd start the, the first day of a class, they'll give you these uh, course outlines, course syllabus, and at the beginning of the class, they tell you, this is what you're supposed to learn by the end of this time, this class is over with. And I... I look at uh, several things in Scripture, but this is particularly one, this story in Matthew, the 8th chapter. I call this a, a, a discipleship objective for every believer in the area of the renewed mind. Matthew 8. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped and saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, Jesus, we know, is fully God, fully man. He's operating as the son of man. And if you want to understand a little bit how Jesus thought, uh, thought, Jesus is the first man since Adam to express God's original intent for the world. If you see Jesus, you see what God intended for Adam with the exception that in Adam, like, this is kind of always crazy to talk about. In Adam, he walks with God in Jesus, he lives in man for the first time. I don't know how, how he did it, but he actually upgraded on perfection because Adam didn't need version 2.0. <laughs> you know, Adam wasn't like the test version, you know. You know, Adam was, there was no deficiency in Adam, but somehow he upgrades in Jesus. And in Jesus, you'll see the very same characteristics that Adam had. Adam had a free will. Jesus had a free will. He said, no one takes my life from me. I freely give it up. Jesus had human needs. Adam had human needs. Jesus had to know the love of his father. Adam had to know his acceptance from God. And it's really interesting. So it's, if you look at something in the mind of Jesus, we have several examples and it's this. He says, I can do only what I do, what I see my father doing in heaven. I can only do what I see my father doing. In Wait, he's got a choice. He could do, you know, it, he even tells us at the end there where he's like, yeah, this is, this is going to be bad. This is going to be tough. You know, this cross thing, you know, the whole time he knows. And 
you know, he even, even you know, uh, the, the devil even tells him, you, you, you know, uh, he tells the devil, he goes, I could call legions of angels and just end this thing. At any time, he can tap out. So he's got this choice, but then he makes a say, I only, I only do what I see my father doing in heaven. Adam had to learn things from God. It says of Jesus in John the 8th chapter, this is always a fascinating statement to me. Jesus learned and then taught what he learned from his father. The will of God was not automatic for Jesus. He says, so what's he, I believe he's teaching us the mind of Jesus. He's got a free will, but in the way he thinks, he does not entertain anything except that which the father has ordained him to do. Anything that came across that mind, no way. That's, that's illegal for me. And then Paul instructs us, right? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we have this expression here. And Jesus put out his hand and touched him saying, so he's, he is speaking not as a son of God here, I believe, but as a son of man. I am willing. Notice he doesn't say God is willing. He says, I am willing. It's a fascinating thought, statement he makes. So it, he, he, he obviously understands this authority he has as the son of man where he is in such understanding of what the will of God is. God, he goes, oh, I know God would never, never do that to someone. You know, never leave him there. So I'm willing. And because I'm willing, my father's going to back me up and heal you. So that's kind of the goal in every area. You're like, yeah, I, I, that's, that's a tough one. I know. Welcome to walking with him. The whole point is you can't do it without him. Amen. Blessed, highly favored are the poor in spirit. What's poor in spirit? It's not talking about what's in your bank account. It's this positioning of the heart like, oh yeah, I, I, yeah, I literally can't do anything without you. He goes, I know. So let me help you. So one of the signs that you've presented yourself as a living sacrifice, it's really simply, is that you, you actually have an intentional life of fellowship with God. That's like the, the starting point right there. It's not the only thing, but love God and then love other people. How you love other people is a direct reflection of your understanding of how God loves you. And you'll see because there, there are there are certain things that cannot happen outside the context of fellowship with God. There are, there, are, there are occurrences and there are things that God has planned that cannot take place out of, outside of your personal fellowship with God. And here's just a really simple thought. No one can have a relationship with God for you. And, it, and it's really interesting because even elementary things of the things of God cannot be understood outside of the life of fellowship with God. It's really interesting. Jesus lived this life of intentional, he's the model, right? He, he prayed at night, he prayed in the morning. There was these solitary times. I want to suggest to you, if he had these solitary times, how much more do we? <laughs> he prayed, you're like, you're like, I'm really busy. I know, you're missing out. But the point of that is, is he prayed, and then, what's really interesting, 
we, we can all probably agree here, if you've been around God or things of God or read scripture enough, we can say that fellowship with God, prayer to God. God doesn't want a, a devotional life. Like, I have my devotion say, no, he wants a life of fellowship. He wants his cadence. That's why Paul said, pray without ceasing. He doesn't want to just like leave you after you read, you know, that, that one scripture from the devotional, like now go live your life as an American. He wants to actually like invade like every part of it. I'm not saying that you, you can pray all day. There are some people called to do that. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. It's a definite calling. But, and I would never put on what God's asked me to do upon other people, but there's this flow. There's this synchronization of talking to God that he wants that is way beyond what most people consider, you know, their devotional life. But, but the, the point of that is this, is in walking and modeling of how he discipled his disciples, there's a really interesting thing that, that takes place, is he never actually teaches them how to pray until they ask him. That's right. It's fascinating to me. Like he doesn't, you would think it would be like one of the first lessons after they leave everything to follow. All right, guys, you've left everything to follow me. But as they're watching him, he never submits this lesson. So, so it teaches us this. It's only your hunger to learn things, certain things about God that will open up to you the understanding in God. There's a lot of people that are, I wonder why God doesn't talk to them about certain things because they're not interested. So Exodus 3 is a great example here of what happens in the context of walking with God. Now Moses was tending the flock of his father Jethro, father-in-law, priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and he came toward, toward Horeb, the mountain of God. This is Exodus 3. Excuse me. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the trash was, excuse me, but the bush was not consumed, not the trash. I'm reading off my iPad. Then Jesus said, I will, Jesus. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. Notice the intentionality there. I always wonder, if he doesn't decide to turn, does God speak to him? So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Catch that phrase. God actually looked how he responded to a moment. Really beautiful thing. Like, Like, don't ever believe God is not watching you. Like, you think like, ah, oh, you know, God's not here, and I don't feel him. And he's like, no, I'm right here. <laughs> he's always there. Amen. He said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he's afraid to look upon God. So notice that this is like uh, very common with encounter. God reveals himself. Here's who I am. And the Lord said, then another common part about encounter is that he speaks. I, I've surely seen the oppression of my people in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up from the land to good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, and Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people and the children of Israel out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, 
Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will, del- I will certainly be with you, and this will be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. I just want, to, want you to catch something there that, that, that is, is very typical in how when God talks to us. Notice that they are the most oppressed people in the world. They have no education system. They are um, victims and slaves of uh, another nation, yet God has covenant with these people. But God is not thinking about them as slaves. He is thinking about them as abundantly beyond blessed people, even though that they are in a place of captivity and slavery. And also, if you would ask them, they would probably tell you, you know, God's not speaking. He's nowhere. We need to just help ourselves. He has heard what they said. He's heard what you said. And then he goes to a person. I love it. He announces himself as the God who hears, the God who delivers. And then he tells Moses, by the way, this aspect of who I am, you're going to represent that to my people. So the aspect of God that was revealed to him, he now has the privilege of representing. But there's a little problem, and I found this in my experience with the Lord, often talking with the Lord, and this is how the renewed mind works. And it's this, that often God will speak to us in places or in in time periods where what he is telling us is far beyond our understanding of ourselves inside of him and, and does not line up with any of our circumstances. And so in that place, he is looking to bring an exchange of identity in what he has told us because what came to the surface when God spoke to Moses? All his own insecurities. All the I'm a failure. Oh, I murdered someone. So that comes to the surface, trauma, ungodly beliefs. That's why we talked about that last night. Now he's got an opportunity to exchange that for the guy who's going to be God's spokesperson. So I say, look to see your reactions to extraordinary things that God speaks to you because it often is a place that God in the middle of, of teaching you who you really is, he wants to heal the inside of you. Amen. Remember a number of years ago, the Lord spoke to me. We're having this conversation about economics. He said, most of the body of Christ, or many of my children, could never receive the amount of money I wanted to give them because they don't think they're worthy. So how, one way, the mind gets renewed, is as we walk in fellowship with God, He gives us an opportunity to exchange what comes to the surface in our own thoughts, in our own minds, to come into alignment with what He has spoken. So, in a place of fellowship and friendship with the Lord, we hear His voice. Hearing the voice of God is... is, is God has intended hearing the voice of God to be a byproduct of being in fellowship with God. Sometimes we're focused on the voice and not the fellowship. If you have the fellowship, you'll know His voice. If a heart is positioned correctly, you will know when He's speaking. We've made this one way too complicated. Jesus taught us in John the seventh chapter. He goes, he you know there he's in this argument, uh, not really argument, but this you know this discourse or this back and forth 
with uh, the religious leaders, I believe the Pharisees there. And he says, those who will to do my will, those who will to do my will, will know that my doctrine is from God. What's he saying? He goes, if there's a sincere, willing heart, I'm yours to command. You will know, you will bear witness, there will be a knowing that God wants to, that God is speaking to you. And he will work with you right in the place you're at. Like, he's not, like, people are like, you know, I just, I don't hear, I don't hear God like, you know, Chris, Priscilla, you know, they just are so good, you know, they got it. Like, like it's not his concern. His concern is, are you willing to do his will? You know, the Lord told me today that um, he's unlocking your ears to hear as never before. And you see yourself as a servant. It's good to be a servant. It's good to be a servant. But that's all you see yourself as. And he wants to awaken the dreamer on the inside of you as never before. Because there are things he wants to do for you that will come out of your fellowship. And there's encounters. And there's breakthroughs. There's a really strong prophetic gift on you. And there's an angel Lord just unlocking you. In Jesus' name, into a new place of freedom, ability to hear, and ability to see yourself exactly like God. I remember when I first started hearing the voice of God, and we're all on this journey, right? Nobody's got it right. We're all together, you know? I haven't said this out loud in front of people, but I'll say it now. I feel, I feel okay to say it. I think one of the reasons Donald Trump became president was to show a lot of believers how religious they were. I think a lot of, part of the reason he might not be elected now is also to let a lot of people know how religious they are. There's two sides to that one. That's a whole different story, but I don't know. I just felt the freedom to let that off my chest. <laughs> that felt nice. <laughs> no way. You know. But, but uh, I remember just having the sincere heart. Lord, I, I just want to do. And he, he knows where you're at. Like, people are like, I'll, you know, I'll walk on water. And he's like, no, let's just start with being nice to people. <laughs> See, God is incredibly practical. And, um, but it was so loud. So loud. When I knew, it was like, like it was so clear and you know you just real easy just test that thing against the word of God the devil's not going to tell you to forgive someone <laughs> he's not going to tell you to write somebody a big check you know <laughs> like it's not that difficult I wonder if it's the Lord and you can you know you can do like I remember I, you know you do that thing all good charismatics I need confirmation you know <laughs> And we laugh. That's okay. Like, he'll work with you. He will confirm things he's speaking to you. You know, but then don't dismiss it, you know? I, I was, um, 
I felt like the Lord asked me to do something at the end of the year, towards the end of the year. And there's this thing too where a lot of times it's not like I'm saying no. I go, okay, I, th- I feel like there's a timing to this. I'm not sure if it's now. And I just put on this message and um, immediately, I actually wasn't, I was going to listen. I was intending to listen to something. I felt, thought I was supposed to listen to something else. And then I put, I was like, and the Lord's like, listen to that one right there. And the first thing this guy says connects exactly where, where I'm at. Don't argue with that. Don't argue with that. He'll help you. He really will. You know, you know they come up here on a Saturday night like, hey, we're going to go on a mission trip, you know. Or we're going to this unseen conference. You know, you're like, I, I, you know, first thing you think is you can't afford it. God's like, I want you to go to that. Sign up tonight. You know? And then somebody tells I just really feel like you need to go to it. That's confirmation. <laughs> you know? You're like, but I need money. I go, well, he'll bring the money if you got a word. The money brings the word. The word comes as a result, of, you know, the money comes as a result of saying yes to the word. So in the context of walking with him, you'll hear his voice. And as you hear his voice, it's really, really important that your faith grabs hold of what he's saying to you and speaking to you. Revealed knowledge. It's how the kingdom of God operates. It doesn't operate by your intellect. God is not, afraid, God is not against your intellect. But the, the, the ways of God cannot operate according to your mind. And so there's got to be this yes, and then because faith comes by hearing. We say yes to it, and then there also must be a confession of it. Look at uh, Mark, the 11th chapter. Mark 11. Look at verse 12. Now the next day when they had come out of Bethany, he was hungry. Notice the humanity of Jesus. This is a beautiful Savior. The very God. Like, himself is actually what created the world we live in. And he humbles himself to be like one of us. And has no benefit to himself. Like people like, oh, you know, God was lonely, so he created us. No, 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 God was not lonely. That's American. (laughs) To believe that God was lonely was to believe that he needed something outside of himself. He's self-sufficient. Then he come and he was hungry and seeing a far a fig tree, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season of the figs. In response, Jesus said, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. I believe there's nine words there. So Jesus speaks to that tree. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up. There's a minor story in between that we skipped through of him overturning tables and stuff. It's very minor. (laughs) But you also notice that even Jesus' own words, they do not immediately, or at least they don't tell us that there's an immediate change. But Jesus doesn't go back to the Father and go, is it working? 
He assumes it's working because he spoke what the Father told him to say. And Peter, remembering, said, uh, the morning it passed by, the fig tree was dried up from the roots. Now notice, it got dried up from the inside out. And Peter, remembering, said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Now this is really neat. Jesus, Peter observes Jesus speaking to something, speaking to a tree. And Peter's amazed that the words that Jesus spoke become exactly what Jesus told those, that tree to become. And, and Peter's like, amazing. And, he, and immediately, Jesus begins this teaching on the subject of faith. Every believer and, 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 and the, the gift of faith is critical to the development of your mind because world overcoming faith has been put on the inside of every believer. Every believer, according to Romans 12, according to Ephesians, has been given the measure of faith. It is your responsibility to bring development to the measure of faith that he's put on the inside of you. Jesus had no problem telling people, big faith, small faith, little faith. 